wraps up our series, The Greatest Stories Never Told. And I've got a story for you that you definitely have heard before. And it's one of the greatest stories, but there's only a portion of it that you probably never heard of. But before we get to that, there's a word that we all say, that we're great at saying, we almost enjoy saying, we probably say without even realizing it, and it's this word, later. Say later with me. Later. We're really good at later. It's the, I mean, we even see this with, with my kids, right? And, and you've seen this with your kids. Whatever ages they are, three to 35, they're still saying later, where it's a, I'll tell my kids, hey, we got to go clean the playroom. The first answer is usually no, but once we take care of that one, then the answer, yeah, then the answer is, well, we'll do it later, isn't it? I don't want to do it right now. I want to do it, what is it? Later, you see it in teenagers as, as they're, I mean, because I remember this because that was me. Hey, you got a test on Friday. What are you talking about? It's, it's Wednesday. Yeah, it's Friday. No, I'll deal with it later. And then it's, it's Friday morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can study during, you know, like on the bus. I'm like, oh, good grief. That was me, right? And there's always a later. There's always a little bit of space to push something else to. Even as adults, we keep saying, what's the word? Later, whether it's in our job or whether it's with our finances, there's always something where we can say, not now, but, one more time, later. later. So I want you to begin to identify the laters in your life. What is the later that you have been saying? What have you been pushing to tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day? Maybe it's a conversation that needs to be had. Maybe it's forgiveness that needs to be extended or asked for, an apology that's been given, an addiction that needs to come to light. I don't know what it is, but there's something that has constantly been pushed later, later, later. And there's a word that really describes that attitude, and it's an attitude of procrastination, right? As we're procrastinators, we're naturally good at procrastinating. And that word is really broken up into two words. We get it from the, these two Latin words. The first one is pro, meaning forward or to move. And then you have the last part that we then translate crastinate, which means of tomorrow. So literally, to procrastinate means to move to tomorrow, to push or to defer to tomorrow. And that's where we get that word later. Well, I'll just do it later. I'll deal with it later. I don't want to talk about it now. I know it needs to happen, but Let's do it tomorrow. Let's do it later. James chapter 4 speaks to that. You don't have to turn there, uh, but I'll put it on the screen behind me so you can at least see this with me. James 4.14 says this, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? In other words, why keep pushing things off to tomorrow? Because we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So scripture is very clear, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, which is probably why we like to push things off to tomorrow. Well, if I'm not here tomorrow, I don't have to deal with it, which there is some logic to that. <laughs> but scripture is saying you, you can't keep pushing everything to later or to tomorrow because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Now check this out, just a few verses later, that was verse 14. Verse 17, here's the scripture that we get. James says this, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. If you know the good you ought to do or should do and don't do it, in other words, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't. I'm going to do it later. I'm going to deal with it later. I'm going to just push it to tomorrow. Then what we're doing is wrong. See, oftentimes we don't think procrastination is that big of a deal. And maybe in the grand scheme of things you could argue that, but Scripture is still clear. If we know what we ought to do and what we should do and we keep deferring it and pushing it down the road, that's wrong. There's going to be consequences that go with that. 
some of those consequences we don't always think about in the midst of procrastinating. Here's one way to think about procrastination. It comes from excuses. It comes out of excuses. Because we're awesome at excuses. That's why we procrastinate. Because we have a good reason why tomorrow is better today. Why later is better than now. We have great excuses. So procrastination comes out of excuses, but it is going to breed regret. The regret is all of those shoulda, woulda, couldas. It's, well, man, I really wish I didn't push it. I wish I didn't wait. I wish I didn't say later. I wish I could do it over. Wish I could have that opportunity again. I wish I could go back and I would do it differently. That's the world of regret. Procrastination comes out of excuses, but it breeds regret. And I'll take it one step further. If that regret is not dealt with, it's going to leave you paralyzed. And what I mean by that is you will eventually, if you live this way of constantly pushing to later, piling up the regrets in your life, eventually you're going to be in a season of your life where you can't do anything because all you see is the regret in your life. And it's hard to move past all of those regrets. They pile up and they pile up and you wish you could do it over. And so now you're not just living in regret, you are paralyzed by regret. So what do we do with that? How do we, how do we better deal with the now and what does scripture teach us about the dangers of just pushing it off to tomorrow and later? So that's where we're going to pick it up. If you've got your Bibles, head to Exodus chapter 8. And like I said, this is a story that is very well known. Movies are about it. Most of you could tell this story as good, if not better, than I can. But there's one word in this story that I bet you haven't noticed. Or you noticed it and you didn't really see the connection here. So that's what we're going to look at. It's a story of the ten plagues or the ten disasters that Moses and Aaron do with God's, God using them to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So the story, if you don't know, if it's been a while, you've got the Israelites, the Jewish people, that are now slaves in Egypt. They're held captive by the Pharaoh, by Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians. And so the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, are crying out to God, God, help us, God, save us, God, get us out of this mess. And God hears them. He says, absolutely, I, I hear you, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to send someone to rescue you. So he calls Moses, you know, the whole burning bush incident. Calls Moses, and Moses then helps, gets Aaron's help. And God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to, you know this phrase, let my people go. Yes, let my people go, Moses said. And Pharaoh's like, uh, no, I don't know your God. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so what God then does is these 10 disasters or these 10 plagues, and the whole purpose of the 10 plagues is to show Pharaoh and the Israelites something. The purpose of these disasters is for God to show the Israelites that, hey, I'm here, I'm listening, I care, I'm doing something, I'm active in your life. I'm fighting on your behalf. And then God's purpose of all of these plagues is to show the Egyptians that your gods are nothing. Because <laughs> the Egyptians had their false gods and all of their mythology. And so God was just flexing, if you want to think of it in that way. Flexing and showing that he is the one and only true God. And the rest of the gods are absolutely worthless and nothing. But if you know the story, it takes ten plagues to soften Pharaoh's heart just this much. And even then, it is still extremely hard, and so it's going to take more than one plague. The first plague happens, and it was the turning the entire uh, Nile and the water of the area into blood. And so Pharaoh says, ah, no big deal. I can, I, can, I can deal with that. So we're going to pick it up on the second plague, which is the plague or the disaster of the frogs. And I want you to see where this procrastination theme comes from. Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here's what happens. 
This is a week after the first plague. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into your houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and your kneading troughs. There's a lovely image for you, isn't it? Verse four, the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Keep that in mind. If you're taking notes, you wanna pay attention to those three people groups. He's talking to Pharaoh and he says, on you, Pharaoh, and your officials and all of your people. So understand what God is doing here. He's saying, okay, Pharaoh, your heart's hardened. I need to do something to get you to soften your heart and to recognize who God is, to recognize who I am. So that's why this plague is sent. Now, our God is hilarious. I mean, and there's a lot of irony here, which you've got to understand. So this whole plague of the frogs, right? You, you can personally visualize what it would be like to have frogs in your bed and in your ovens. And I don't know if we still have kneading troughs or not however you want to put that in context, but they are everywhere, and it's not just everywhere, it's everyone, and this isn't just Pharaoh's problem, is it? Remember those three people groups? He says they're going to be all over you, your officials, like the other leaders of the nation, and all your people, an entire nation covered with frogs. Now, here's why this is, is a little ironic and, and just downright funny, so I talked about the Egyptians have all their false gods and their mythology. There's a goddess by the name of Heket in Egyptian mythology. And Heket, she is the goddess of life and fertility. Life, new life that's coming into this world, but also helping with the life passing on to the next world. And I want to show you a picture of Heket and tell me what you think you see. She's the bottom left, your bottom right. What does she have? She has the head of a frog. That's awesome. So you have the Egyptians and Pharaoh that worship Heket because she promises life. Now, because she is this goddess with the head of a frog, there was a law, a decree, a mandate in all of Egypt that said you cannot harm or kill a frog because they're sacred. So now you have billions of sacred frogs everywhere and you can't do anything about them. Come on, that's funny. I mean, our God is pretty good and ironic. <laughs> and so he's basically, again, flexing for the Egyptians, saying, you know that, that goddess that is supposed to bring you life? The frog that you worship, that you're expecting to bring life into your life? Yeah, I'm going to make that worse. I'm going to, in fact, ruin your life with that. And it's, a, it's an interesting idea for the Egyptians to deal with where the thing that they thought brought them life is now going to ruin their life. And we do that too, though, don't we? Maybe not with frogs, but the things that we worship or the things that we are looking to to bring us life. And all of a sudden, it's not bringing us life anymore. In fact, it's beginning to ruin our lives. We do this even with work. Work's not a bad thing, but it can easily ruin our lives. And we think, well, if I just work a little bit more, if I get that promotion, if I have this status, if I finally get it, then I'll have the life that I want, but in the process, doesn't that begin to ruin our lives and we lose the family that we've wanted to give that life to? We do this with alcohol, drugs, you name it, because well, if I can just, if I can calm down, if I can just deal with this season of my life, then I'll have the life that I want, but over time, it begins to ruin our life. We do this with finances. Scripture tells us that money is not evil, but what does it say? The 
Love of money is the root of all evil. And we just think, well, if I can just have more of it, if I can have some more money, and, and then I'll be able to have the life that I want and the life that I want to give to my family. But we see, again, the love of money ends up ruining our lives. Just like the Egyptians, the things that we think bring us life, God looks at it and says, it's going to end up ruining your life in the long run. So these frogs are absolutely everywhere. Beds, bedrooms, palaces, streets, ovens, you name it. It's absolutely everywhere. And look what happens next. Verse 5. So the Lord told Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hands over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. Verse 7 is interesting. Look at this. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. In other words, Pharaoh had his prophets or his sorcerers, and they were able to do the exact same thing. The magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, if I'm a, let's just assume I'm a normal person for a second here. And as a normal person, this epidemic of frogs is all over our country. And Pharaoh thinks it's a good idea to say, well, I can do that too. Let's just add more to the problem. Where's the common sense in that, right? Now understand, this is not new for Pharaoh. In fact, the first plague, his magicians were able to replicate what Moses and Aaron did. And this is Pharaoh's way of saying, your God's really not that great because, well, my guys can do that too. And so he proves that point, even if it means adding to the problem. We've already got a ton of frogs. We're already miserable with frogs. Well, we'll make more frogs just to prove that we can do what you can do. Now, there's an unfortunate side part of this because once the magicians create the frogs and have the frogs come up guess what they can't do get rid of them <laughs> so you have pharaoh who commands his magicians will show them what you can do make more of them which they do but now they're left with even more frogs that nobody else can get rid of see at some point what pharaoh's trying to do is show that he's in charge he's trying to show that i'm in control but what he's starting to recognize is i'm just adding to the problem and that's where we live, right? We live in that kind of a world where, man, we think we can take care of things on our own and we think we can do things on our own and it's my problem to deal with. But in reality, we really just have the problem to make it worse a lot of times. Just ask my wife. She knows that I make a lot of things worse a lot of the time. It's very easy for me to do. That's easy for us though, isn't it? That's not, that's not a problem for us is to make more problems. But we'll all get to a point just like Pharaoh is gonna get to a point where he's had enough. And you get to that point, you call it, you know, the bottom of the barrel, the end of the line, the last straw, whatever you want to call it. But he finally has enough. He can't do anything about it. His officials can't do anything else about it. His magicians, the religion that they follow, can't do anything about this problem, this disaster. And when he finally gets to that point, cannot get any worse, he does what he's only left to do. His last resort is to go back to Moses, and that's what he does. Verse 8, he's finally had enough, and it says this, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away. Now, that word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So he's recognizing, Pharaoh is finally recognizing who God is. And he hasn't said it yet, but he's saying, your God is the only one that can take care of my problem. Your God is the only one that can fix this mess. He's getting to that point. He still has a very hard heart, but at least he's able to recognize 
who God truly is. So he tells Moses, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. So Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people. Remember those three again? You set the time for me to pray for you, your officials, and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except that those that remain in the Nile. Now, don't read ahead. If you're an overachiever, stop reading ahead, or you're going to ruin my whole thing. (laughs) So Moses comes to Pharaoh on Pharaoh's request. Pharaoh says, I've had it. I've had enough. We've got frogs literally coming out of our ears. I don't want frogs in my bed anymore. Will you please pray to your God to do something about this? Moses says, absolutely. I'm glad you finally come around, Pharaoh. So you tell me, when do you want me to pray on your behalf to get rid of this problem, to get rid of this disaster, to get rid of the frogs? Pharaoh, you tell me. You are king. You're Pharaoh of the entire land of Egypt. So Pharaoh, you tell me when you want me to do this. You ready for this? Verse 10. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, he said. I mean, in what world does that make sense? In what world would Pharaoh or any leader, any king, any sane person who is dealing with a plague of frogs, when the solution is offered, here's how we can get rid of the frogs. Our answer would be, that's wonderful, thank you, I can't wait to get rid of them tomorrow. I can't fathom that. So you need to know, as your pastor, you have given me the responsibility to not just tell you scripture, but to dig in to scripture. And so I got to tell you, man, I have read commentary after commentary. I have dived deep into the original language and text and culture. And and here's what I found, because I'm I'm asking this question. Why did Pharaoh say tomorrow? And there's got to be somebody on this planet or has been on this planet that has more degrees than me, is smarter than me, knows theology more than me. There's actually a lot of those out there. So I'm looking to them. Help me understand why Pharaoh would say tomorrow. And I found the answer. You want to hear the answer? It's why you showed up at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You want to know the answer to why Pharaoh said tomorrow? No one knows. (laughs) Not a single person Everything I studied, every person I read, everything that I could get my hands on, they all said the same thing. No clue. And, and I think we, over, we, we try to complicate it. It's actually pretty simple because it's exactly what we do. In fact, we probably would do this. Now we think, well, I mean, Brian, if there's frogs in my bedroom, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. Really? Because we do it with just about everything else, don't we? What was that L word? We like to say, we'll do it later. I think Pharaoh was just doing what he always did, just like we do what we always do. It's natural for us to say, tomorrow, I'll deal with it later. Even when the problem is obvious, the solution is available, we know exactly what needs to happen, but we're okay saying, "Ah, I don't want to deal with it today. Tomorrow fits my schedule a little bit better. And here's what he's really saying. I'll deal with the frogs one more night. I mean, think through that. When he says tomorrow, when he says tomorrow, he's saying, I'll sleep with frogs one more night. I'll deal with frogs for breakfast one more night, one more time. And remember, it's not just him. Remember the three people groups? It's you, your officials, and all your people. So he's making that decision for everybody else, too. 
You know, as a nation, all Egyptians will deal with frogs one more night. I think if everybody knew that, there would have been a riot outside of his palace. <laughs> if he had the opportunity and the means and the availability to get rid of the frogs once and for all. But instead, he said, tomorrow. Now, of course, we don't deal, as far as I know, we don't deal with plagues of frogs anymore. So it might be a little hard to put this in context. So let me, let me show you something that might hit a little bit closer to home. It hits very close to home in my home. Because uh, this summer, man, we have done a ton. It's been an awesome summer. We have had a ton of fun. We have traveled a lot. In fact, just this last week, um, we, it really just ended on Friday because we had family in. We had how many? Six? I lost How many kids were in our house, Peggy? Six kids, five of them under the age of five. That was my week, which is why I studied commentaries all last week. I said, Becky, I have to go to work, honey. I'm sorry. I wish I could be here with you, but I've got to figure out this Pharaoh thing. But <laughs> didn't fly. So... So, I mean, it's just been full for us, but it's been great. We've loved every minute of it, but that means we haven't been home to do, like, normal, like, house cleaning stuff. And Becky, my wife, she's got four kids that just wreck her house, me, Connor, Colin, Collins. So all four of us just mess up all of what she does. So we finally were able to unpack suitcases, stop living out of suitcases, and we look around the house as we're getting ready to go back to school and everything, and this is what was in our house. And again, it's not because she doesn't take care of it. You should see what it would look like if she wasn't around taking care of us. And so she obviously tells us all, me and the kids, hey, we've got to clean this mess up. We've got to deal with it. And we said, absolutely. We would love to. Tomorrow. <laughs> Let's do it later. I'm trying to get the kids to clean the playroom. Let's do it later. And here's what tends to happen. Because we all have this in our life, don't we? We all have the trash. We have the stuff in our life. And it's very obvious. And here's the dynamic of procrastination and exactly what we see Pharaoh do. When he said, what was the word that he said in verse 10? Tomorrow. When he said tomorrow, all he did was push it a little bit further. And again, that's the definition of procrastination, right? To move to tomorrow, to defer or push to tomorrow. So quite literally, he was taking the problem and just pushing it down the road. Just one more day. Now, the nature of pushing something is it doesn't get rid of it. It moves it, but in fact, it piles it up. It makes it worse. So you pile things up and everything in our life that we just keep saying, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it tomorrow. All we're doing is pushing it a little bit further. It's not going anywhere. We're not getting rid of it. All we're doing is we're piling it up and we're making a bigger problem, a bigger pile to deal with tomorrow. That's what procrastination does in our life. It's what Pharaoh failed to understand. That the procrastination... It defers, it pushes, yes, it moves it to tomorrow to deal with another day, but then it's just piling up. Remember, I asked you earlier to begin thinking through what are those obvious things that we just keep saying later to? The obvious things. Keep in mind, these frogs, this epidemic, this plague, this disaster, the problem of the frogs was very obvious. It's not like it was a secret sin that nobody knew about in the land of Egypt. No, there were billions of frogs everywhere. You could see them. You could smell them. You were stepping on them. Everybody knew. It was not a secret. It was not a surprise. Some of the garbage in our lives, it's not a shocker. It's not a surprise. It's obvious. We know it. They know it. Everybody knows it. And what's interesting is we know what to do with it. We know we need to get rid of it. We know exactly how to get rid of it, but we choose to say the famous words of Pharaoh tomorrow. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Be it a conversation that needs to be had because of the tension and the conflict in a relationship. Maybe it is 
the forgiveness of someone else or asking for forgiveness. We talked about the idea of an apology being given and offered. Maybe it's that addiction that we just keep saying, well, I know it's kind of a problem, but I, well, let me get through this season. I'll deal with it later. Maybe it's our financial planning. Well, just I, I'll, we'll button it up once we kind of get through you know, this part or this month. We'll, we'll look at it next month, and we just push it to tomorrow. Maybe it's that, that job that we need to apply for, and it's, well, and I, I know I need to, but I'll, I'll just do it another time. Maybe it's the resignation we need to turn in because the place that we're at isn't growing us, isn't developing us, or isn't just good for you and your family. I, I don't know what those things are for you. I don't know what you walked in here with, deferring and pushing to tomorrow, but I know it's obvious to you. And it may not be obvious to me. Maybe if we sat down and have coffee, we, I could figure it out, but... It's obvious to you, as I'm talking, you're putting names and labels in and identifying what those things are that it just keeps getting pushed to tomorrow. I know I need to. I know I should. I just don't want to deal with it today. Remember what James 4 said? If you know what you ought to do, if I know what I should do, but I don't, it's wrong, and it's going to have consequences that go with it. So it's obvious. Frogs are obvious. Trash. If you saw this pile of trash in my house, it would be obvious right? You would smell it. You would see it. It's obvious. But it's also affecting other people. And that's where we kind of disconnect with procrastination is we don't think it affects anybody else, right? Remember what scripture kept saying, what Moses kept saying? You, Pharaoh, and what were the other two people groups? Remember? Your officials and all the other people. <laughs> he says his decisions or lack thereof we're affecting other people, not just himself. And so often we think, well, I'm just procrastinating. It's my problem. It's my choice. It's my decision to deal with it later. Yeah, it's your decision, but it is impacting and affecting people around you. Let me give you another example, another place of context. There's probably a good handful of you that, that make a wonderful, lovingly serene drive down 400 sometime during rush hour or up, depending, right? And, and you're thinking, it's already bad enough. So just don't tell me because it wouldn't be appropriate for church, but at least think, if you can. Think of how you would feel if somebody decided to procrastinate, and instead of getting gas when they should have, they thought, I can make it to work, no problem. In reality, their procrastination, because they were in a hurry, they didn't want to deal with stopping at the gas station, they ran out of gas right smack in the middle of your commute. Now, all of a sudden, there is a lane that is closed because of their failure to think ahead. Now, how do you feel? <laughs> Think of all the cars that are lined up thinking all sorts of holy and lovely thoughts as they pass this car on the side of the road. No, it's our decisions, whether you like it or not, believe it or not, impact and affect other people around you. Your procrastination affects people around you. Pharaoh's procrastination affected an entire nation where they had to sleep with the frogs one more night. The things in our life that need to be taken care of, they're obvious, and they affect people around us. But there's also a lot we cannot do. Remember Pharaoh, him, anybody of his, any of his people, his magicians, they couldn't do anything about it. He had to call Moses to say, talk to God. The things in your life, you know what they are, they're obvious. The things in your life that need to be taken care of, you know what to do with them because God's God. The question is, is it today? Or is it tomorrow? Are you going to let God do what only he can do today? Or is it going to be tomorrow? And truly, my prayer, my hope, my 
my plead for you is don't spend another night with the frogs. Don't be a Pharaoh and say, let's deal with it tomorrow. Don't spend another night with the frogs. Instead of tomorrow, may we say today. So let me give you just a few scriptures on what that might look like, depending on where you, where you personally are at. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this. As God's partners, this is the Apostle Paul saying, as partners, we're doing this together. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. That's, that phrasing there, that's what we would probably call salvation in church world. Don't accept God's gift of eternal life and forgiveness and grace and then ignore it. And then he quotes old, uh, an Old Testament passage, verse 2. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. And so Paul paraphrases that and says this. Indeed, the, quote, right time is when, now or later. What's he say? Now. Say it one more time. Now or later. Now. He says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not later. Not when you get around to it. Not when it fits in with your schedule. He says, it happens right here and right now. So for those of you in the room that have, have not said yes to Jesus for the first time, there's always an excuse well, I don't know everything yet. I'm really still not sure exactly what I think. And Well, man, my life looks like this. I need to get this cleaned up first. No. The right time is, is it now or later? It's now. It's right now. You don't have to have all the answers to invite Jesus into your life. Your life is going to be a wreck and a mess when you invite Jesus into your life. It's why he's our savior and we don't save ourselves. It's why he's Lord and we're not. It's why he's king and we are not. So if you haven't invited Jesus into your life yet, Scripture says don't wait. It's not tomorrow. It's now. It's today. And we do that by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And that what you did on the cross for me, the death on the cross, the sacrifice on the cross, it took my sins away. Scripture says as far as the east is from the west. And then... He didn't just take sins away because of his death. He defeated physical death and spiritual death by, by raising from the dead. That's why there's an empty tomb. So the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection of the grave, he's defeated sin and death, and we get to have true life in this life and in the next. So if we need to get rid of this stuff, we need to get rid of it by saying yes to Jesus, come into my life, and Jesus, you take this away. Because all we can do is push it. That's what, all that we can do is we push it and pile it up. He's the one that takes it away. If you've not made that decision, Scripture is very clear. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We say today, no more procrastination. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. This is after Jesus rose from the dead, and a lot of his early disciples are now traveling around telling people that great news about Jesus and the life that we can have because of his crucifixion but also his resurrection so Philip, one of these early church leaders, meets a guy, an Ethiopian, and tells him about Jesus. Here's what we see. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, I've heard about Jesus, and I want Jesus in my life. My next step, according to you, Philip, in the scripture, and the story, is I'm supposed to get baptized next. Well, here's some water. Why not now? And that's exactly what I hope that you would start to ask yourself. Why not now? Again, there's always going to be an excuse why we push it to tomorrow. Why I didn't show up ready today. I didn't expect it to happen today. I don't really totally understand it yet. You can have 100 excuses. 
But why wait for tomorrow? Why spend another night with this in your life? Spend another night with the frogs when scripture says, make it today. Instead of later, may we say, now. Like I said, I've got t-shirts, I've got shorts, I've got towels, I've got everything you need. It's your decision, though. And the reason we get baptized is because we go under the water, symbolizing our death, our spiritual death to ourselves. And we come out of the water, Scripture tells us, raised to new life. We're a new creation. You get to experience that. We get to experience that. We use the phrase born-again Christian because, in fact, we are. We are a new creation when we say yes to him, and then we go through the celebration of baptism. Keep in mind, baptism doesn't save us. It's the celebration after being saved. So maybe you've been saved, but, man, baptism hasn't happened yet, and you've got your really good excuses. No more today. No more today. There's water right out there. And just like the Ethiopian said, hey, here's some water. Why not? Now, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, last one. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I could imagine the excuses that Levi would have given Jesus, could have given Jesus. Jesus extends an invitation, follow me. Two words that are going to forever and radically change Levi's life. Jesus says, follow me, and Levi could have thought, man, today doesn't work for me, Jesus. My calendar's a little bit more clear tomorrow. Like, can, can we do this tomorrow? Can you ask me again tomorrow? Hey, let me think about it. Let me pray about it, and, and I'll get back with you tomorrow instead of saying no today. In fact, he didn't even say anything, did he? Jesus said, follow me, and scripture says, Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. So maybe you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've had your baptism celebration. There's always next steps for us to take. We all have garbage in our life. We've all got stuff, and some of it's not even garbage. Sometimes it's just stuff. But Levi shows us what to do. When Jesus says, follow me, we have to walk away from something to walk towards him. So let me just ask you that question. What do you need to walk away from? so that you can walk towards Jesus. These might be okay things, but are they getting you closer to Jesus or not? Life comes only through Jesus Christ. Peace is only given through Jesus. All we can do is pile it up and push it to tomorrow. May we no longer say later, may we no longer say tomorrow, but may we say today. I've gotta do this today. So what is that next step for you? saying yes to Jesus, getting baptized. Maybe it has something to do with, with your spiritual journey as a next step. Volunteering, being in a group, being a group leader. We do a lot of that stuff for church, but it's not just about what happens in these walls. What's your next step at work? What's your next step at home? What is your next step as you walk away from what Levi did? Everything to follow him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we confess that we try to do a lot on our own and we mess up a lot when we try to do it on our own. So God, we are sick and tired of just pushing the garbage to tomorrow. We're sick and tired of spending night after night with the frogs. So here and now, we're gonna say today. Today it ends. Today a life with you begins. 
God, all we can do is make it worse and pile up after tomorrow, after tomorrow, and tomorrow. But Jesus, you came so that we can have life and life to the full. You came so that you could take away the sins as far as the east is from the west. Help us to not push that off one more day. Not one more minute. Jesus, if there's somebody in this room that hasn't said yes to you yet, I pray that they would say yes right here and right now. And it's not some fancy prayer that has to be recited, but it's an invitation that is accepted. May they say yes to you in their heart right here and right now. If there's somebody in this room that has said yes to you but hasn't celebrated this new life, this more life changed through baptism, because of whatever excuses, may those excuses hold them back no more. May they say yes today to celebrate the life that you've given. And God, all of us in this room need to walk away from some things to walk towards you. It's obvious in our life. We know what needs to happen. May we do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.